The Irish Times Inside Politics podcast is going to be holding another live event. This one is in central Dublin on Thursday, May the 16th at 8am. We are going to be in Medley in Dublin too. We only have a few tickets left, so if you want to join me in conversation with head of Ipsos polling in the US, Cliff Young, along with Pat Leahy and Jennifer Bray, looking at the polling in Ireland in the run-up to the European and local elections, just go to irishtimes.com slash events where you can get your tickets. It's Tuesday, October the 6th, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. Before we start, a quick reminder again that if you like what we do with this podcast and you want to get unfettered, unmetered access to the cornucopia of quality journalism published every week by the Irish Times, all you need to do is go to irishtimes.com inside. And that's where you can sign up for unlimited access. Using that particular address allows us to know how many of you, our listeners, have been persuaded to make that particular excellent decision decision, which is good for the podcast. And if you're in the habit of listening to podcasts, you may be particularly interested in our current offer of a free pair of Sennheiser wireless headphones if you purchase either a a premium, a weekend, or a complete subscription. All the information about that is at irishtimes.com slash inside. Now, our political editor, Pat Leahy, is here. And Pat, uh, you only join us on a Tuesday when there's something really meaty to discuss. And that is certainly the case this week, I think, when we look back on the history of the coronavirus virus pandemic in Ireland. It's very likely this week will be seen as a really significant landmark. Maybe first, you can just take us briefly through what has happened over the last 48 hours. Sure, Hugh. Yeah, well, I mean, people will probably remember on Sunday night when uh, texts and WhatsApps and news alerts and uh, and such jiggery-pokery started to light up their phones, telling them that there was a recommendation from Neffed to go to immediately to level five. Jargon Buster, NEFED is the group of the National Public Health Emergency Team, as listeners of the podcast would, I'm sure, be aware, which is a large group of civil servants and doctors which advises government on public health issues. So uh, NEFED had a meeting on the Sunday. They previously met on the Thursday and decided not to issue any uh, fresh advice to the government to upgrade the uh, alert stage or the uh, the level of restrictions at which uh, the company the the country was at. Uh, most of the country, apart from Dublin and Donegal, being on level two, which is a you know relatively mild level of restrictions. Donegal and Dublin being a level three, uh, more strict. Uh, but still allowing for retail, etc., and for um, uh, for much commercial and social activity to continue to take place, albeit within certain confines. Um, so Nefford on Sunday uh, radically changed their stance. Uh, they had a meeting. They wrote to the Minister for Health, which is the form that the advice normally takes, and they recommended that uh, that the country the entire country should immediately go to level five, which is the highest level of um, the highest level of restrictions and would basically accord with the three month lockdown that we experienced in the spring and early summer uh, of this year, with the important exception that schools and creches would remain open. But other other than that, they were recommending uh, basically a return to lockdown, uh, all except essential retail closed, all except uh, essential workers to work from home, 
capacity of public transport to be drastically reduced, people to be told to stay within two kilometres of their home and so uh, and so forth. Nobody will need that rehearsed for them. I suppose we all remember well what it was like uh, once that lockdown was introduced in, uh, in, in, in March of this year. So it's an extremely dramatic move by Neffert on Sunday night. Um, Pat, before you go on, can I just ask you, do we know, do we have any sense of what changed between Thursday and Sunday for that advice to change so dramatically? Well, I suppose this is one of the things that caused such concern subsequently in government. And I guess we'll come on to turn about, uh, to, uh, to talk about that. But that while the, uh, the numbers had been going up and people will have seen the, uh, you know, the daily tally of new cases uh, of admissions to hospital admissions to ICU, though both of those indicators, and again, we we'll perhaps talk about that in a little bit, were uh, significantly lower than they had been previously in the first wave of uh, of the virus. But for many people looking in and uh, for people in government, there didn't seem to be the sort of drastic explosion in numbers between Thursday and Sunday that would justify an immediate move to uh, to such a, str- a stringent lockdown. We're getting a little ahead of ourselves, though, I think, in the narrative, because from the point of view of the government, what happened on Sunday is that this thing was landed upon them in much the same way on a Sunday evening as it was landed on the rest of the country. I spoke to a number of ministers who learned from uh, from the media that Neffet was asking them to go to uh, to a level five lockdown uh, immediately. So um, what happened then on Monday is, I suppose, it was a series of meetings uh, Neffed met with the uh, Neffed met with the, or the senior Neffed officials met with um, a group of senior officials chaired by Martin Fraser and including a number of other secretaries general from relevant government departments. There was then a meeting with a lengthy meeting. I'm given to understand between uh, the leaders of the three government parties: Taoiseach Tonishta, Green Party leader Eamon Ryan, Minister for Finance Pascal Donoghue, Minister for Public Expenditure. Um, uh, Michael McGrath and uh, and senior officials to discuss the uh, the Neffet recommendations. There was then a meeting of the cabinet, which took place, uh, which took place later. And the upshot of those, to cut a long story semi short, is that the government decided that it would not adopt the Neffet uh, the Neffet recommendations. And this, I think, going back to the initial point that you made, is uh, is is quite a significant departure because people will remember back in the early phase of the pandemic when uh, ministers were coming out, particularly the then minister, Health Minister Simon Harris was coming out and he was saying things like, look, politicians are not going to be making these decisions. Public health experts will be making these decisions and we will follow their advice as we go into lockdown and as we design the shape of the lockdown that we believe is required to suppress the uh, to suppress the virus and the spread of the virus. So, uh, so for the first time really, we have Neffet making a set of recommendations and government deciding very publicly that it will not follow those uh, those recommendations. Two further points, I think, uh, relevant to make at this point, Hugh. Um, the first is that it's you can't uh, ignore 
the change in the leadership of Nefa that took place between, you asked me what changed between Thursday and Sunday. One of the things that changed uh, at Nefford was that Dr. Tony Houlihan, who is the chief medical officer and the most important person, I suppose, on uh, on Nefford, who was very much the face of, uh, of the public health advice that led to the lockdown before the summer. He has been absent on family leave since early July. He was due to return uh, to his office on Monday. He arrived back a day early on Sunday. He summoned a, a, a meeting of the, uh, uh, of, the, of the NEFET group and he drove through the requirement for the, uh, for the lockdown. And what many people in government saw in that was Tony Houlihan, and this, was, this is their interpretation, I stress, not mine, but that Tony Houlihan was returning. He wanted to grab the reins again. It was essentially a number of people in government said to me, a sort of a power grab by, uh, by Tony Houlihan. That's not to do him a disservice, but merely to, to uh, explain how it was interpreted in, uh, in government. And it became very much yesterday, I think, a, a story of ministers pushing back, ministers up to including the Taoiseach, pushing back against Tony Houlihan himself in these uh, series of meetings that, uh, that took place in, uh, in, uh, in government buildings. The second point I think to make is uh, just to explain the government's rationale on it. And this was done uh, privately, I suppose, throughout yesterday um, uh, to us. But, uh, but, but last night it was very clear and very explicit as the government's rationale for uh, declining to follow the advice. And that was that an immediate lockdown was not warranted by, uh, by the public health situation and would, more importantly, would destroy hundreds of thousands of jobs in an economy that is beginning to get to its feet or parts of which are beginning to get to its feet after the lockdown and... Uh, and, uh, you know, if you look at what Mihon Martin said last night, what Stephen Donnelly said in the subsequent press conference late last night in government buildings, that uh, their view they take now, uh, perhaps a broader view than ministers were taking in the early part of the lockdown, when they're saying, yes, we have to listen to the public health advice, but we have to also take on board the various other imperatives and dynamics that are at work in society. And it was primarily, I think, on the, uh, primarily due to the economic rationale that, um, uh, that the government chose to, let's not forget, chose to up the level of restrictions from level two to level three, but not to go any further. There's an awful lot um, inside that. Let me let me ask you one question first of all. I mean, while uh, Tony Holland was away on uh, on personal compassionate leave, um, the government did do a number of things. It brought in the system of five levels, which we're we're discussing here. It also put in place a structure, a sort of an intermediate structure between the advice that comes from Neffet and the decisions to be taken on the basis of that advice from the government. And all of that seemed to be uh, an attempt. Uh, we, it remains to be seen how successful it is. An attempt to sort of regulate the situation, uh, to put in place uh, um, a, a system of dealing with ramping up or indeed relaxing restrictions at some point, and also of taking on board medical advice, but not, as you were saying, happened earlier this year, not taking it carte blanche, taking on board other issues, economic issues, people's psychological well-being, and all the other questions which, which arise. 
Yeah, so this group of senior officials, the senior officials oversight group or uh, uh, or whatever, whatever it's called, that seems to have been bypassed on Sunday night when the letter went from Nefford, from, uh, from Tony Houlihan to the Minister for Health, uh, Stephen Donnelly. And the idea of the senior officials group was, as you've outlined it, not just to... Uh, to advise government on the practicalities and uh, of of implementing NEFID advice, but also, to, I think, to provide, in effect, a sort of political buffer between NEFID and the government. Because what the government didn't want to find itself doing is considering medical, uh, considering the public health advice coming fresh from NEFID. It wanted a stage between that where the uh, the measures required to achieve what NEFID wanted would be considered by, uh, by senior officials. Chaired by Martin Fraser, the Secretary-General, of the uh, Department of the Taoiseach and an immensely, certainly the most powerful civil servant in the country, an immensely powerful across government, but also by, uh, but also attended by, you know, people like the Secretary General of the Department of Justice, Department of Health, obviously, and other, any other departments that might be relevant to the application of whatever Nefford was, uh, was seeking. And this is one of the sources, I think, of the annoyance uh, at, uh, uh, in in and around government, and it would be difficult, I think, judging on many of the conversations I had yesterday, it would be difficult to overstate the annoyance at Dr. Tony Holohan within uh, within government over the action that was taken on uh, on on Sunday night. But I think that part of that was due to uh, the circumventing of that new structure that had been put in specifically to avoid what happened the other night. Now, I've been listening to various government ministers and spokespeople over the last 24 hours or so, and they've, they've been making the point um, quite correctly that uh, they're moving to the level three nationwide um, at midnight tonight, uh, but it's completely open to them. To The whole idea of having this system of levels is an ability to react quickly and, if necessary, to ramp it up to four or even to five, depending on how the numbers develop over the next over the next week or two weeks. However, the 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 memo, which was uh, sent to the government on Sunday night, precisely said that that was an approach which would not work in terms of really addressing the numbers and turning around the almost exponential growth we're seeing at the moment. I suppose the bottom line is over the next four or five weeks, we're going to find out who's right. Yeah, I, I guess we will find out um, who, who's who's right, you know, and there is a political danger for the government here that, you know, Stephen Donnelly said um, he said last night at the press conference, you know, this isn't about who's right and who's wrong. I think it might become about who's right and who's wrong. Um, you know, if if numbers continue to climb in the coming weeks, and more significantly, if admission, if deaths, admissions to hospital, admissions to ICU. Uh, if those numbers increase significantly, then I think people will legitimately ask if the government got this right last night. This is a very significant decision, not just in its practical application for the country, but I think in its potential political ramifications uh, for the government. Now, of course, it's harder to see a situation where people look back and they give government credit for avoiding bad things that uh, that that 
didn't happen. Um, but I suppose that's that's probably a, a challenge for us to kind of explain and analyze things as best as we can uh, as as the events take shape. But uh, but certainly there is, I think, uh, there is a political danger for uh, for the government in in taking this course of action. One of the things that I'm curious about, I think it's a point worth uh, worth raising. And I didn't really get a satisfactory answer to it from a number of people that I asked uh, about it yesterday, both on the health side and on the political side, is it's quite clear when you look at the numbers of infections at the moment, the the graph of the number of infections uh, plotted against the number of uh, admissions to hospital and admissions to intensive care units that the virus seems to be at this point a lot less dangerous to the people it's infecting than it was in the early part uh, of, of, of the first wave. So when we were looking at hospital at, at the number of infections in March and April, the number of admissions to hospital and the number of admissions then on into ICU was increasing at a proportionate rate. That doesn't appear to be the case right now. The question is whether that is because this second wave is different and will remain different or whether it's simply a lag in uh, uh, it's a lag effect and that in a few weeks we will see those hospital infections spike again and those ICU numbers spike again because remember what drove the uh, what drove the early lockdown during the first wave and what the public health experts including Tony Holohan are, war- are warning about in uh, in this second wave is the danger of the health system being completely overrun by the sort of numbers of infections and uh, the number of people that infected with the virus that require hospital care and in due course ICU uh, ICU care. So uh, I think that is probably the most uh, that's probably the most important question of the coming weeks not just the numbers of infections but how serious the experience of the disease is turning out to be for people that are infected. And and we should note there that the reality is, I mean, we look across Europe and indeed further afield where many, many countries are experiencing similar second surges or second spikes or whatever you want to call them. They're all seeing some form or other of that but nobody really knows why it is. Some people think it's because actually there were far more people getting uh, infected back in March, but they weren't being tested. So the testing to to hospitalisation ratio was different. Other people have different theories about it. But the bottom line, you're quite right. The bottom line is how many people are occupying hospital beds and how many people are in intensive care. Yeah, and it is, I suppose, noteworthy that the the HSE chief, Paul Reid, came out yesterday morning, um, even as the political response to this was just beginning to take shape. And uh, and Paul Reid basically said that the HSE is not in danger of being uh, of, of being overrun. Hospitals are not being in danger of, uh, of, of, of being overrun. ICUs are not at this point in danger of running out of capacity. And um, and, you know, listeners will probably recall that in the again, in the early part of the pandemic, that um, 
you know, that there was surge capacity put in place with private hospitals that uh, that turned out not to be needed. And you've got to assume that if ICU numbers start to uh, start to ramp up again, that that it, it, it would be possible to put that surge capacity in place. I certainly know that people in the Department of Health were saying yesterday that there had been a great deal of training of ICU personnel uh, had been done over the summer. And while the government has been justly criticised, I think, for its failure to use the lull over the summer uh, to, you know, to tool up certain parts of the health service in anticipation of a second wave, there has been uh, something like 1,500 ICU personnel have been trained up, um, uh, you know, to be able to operate those facilities should they become, uh, should they become necessary. But again, the HSE is saying yesterday that it doesn't see this being necessary in, uh, in, in the coming weeks. But to a certain extent, a lot of this seems to me, anyway, as a layperson, to be informed guesswork. There isn't a map of how this virus uh, operates uh, for either public health experts or clinicians to make very accurate predictions or to make very confident predictions, I think, about what it looks like within uh, within a couple of months. I suppose people on the public health side are saying because of that, we need to be to operate the precautionary principle and to uh, move to the highest level of, of restrictions now, because as their advice suggested to the government, if we don't do it now, we will be doing it, but for mitigation in a couple of weeks. The other view is taken by government that seeing as we can't, you know, seeing as we can't say for sure that we're good, that, that you know, our hospitals are in danger of being overwhelmed, seeing as we have no indications that that is what is going to happen at uh, at the moment, then it would be irresponsible for us to destroy chunks of the economy by going into uh, a lockdown now. But, you know, I guess you, sure. you, 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 you pay your money, you take your choices. Pat, what do, you, what do you make of the politics of the presentation by the government of, of that particular case last night that uh, in one location you had Micheál Martin first addressing the nation and then giving a giving a press conference about government policy, speaking in kind of fairly uh, moderate tones, I think it's fair to say. And on the other hand, you had Leo Varadkar live on television on Clare Byrne Live being pretty caustic about uh, Tony Holohan, who's a public servant, and that's not the sort of generally the tradition uh, in political circles in Ireland to do that. You can say that again. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, the contrast will have struck many people last night. Um, it was certainly, uh, you know, we say, we say the word unprecedented uh, a lot in coverage of politics, particularly in times such as these, but this was genuinely unprecedented. I can't think of another occasion in which a senior public service, a uh, senior public servant, was um, uh, was spoken about in uh, in that manner as Leo Varadkar did of Dr. Tony Holohan last night. What I can also say, though, is that I've never seen the level of anger uh, directed privately uh, in private conversations all day yesterday and on uh, on, on on Sunday night uh, from uh, politicians and the people who work for politicians uh, as 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 I saw yesterday directed at uh, Nefford and Nefford in general but 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 I think Tony Holohan uh, in uh, in particular again look that um, 
you know, maybe harsh or unfair on Dr. Tony Holan, who I'm sure is a, you know, a, a public servant uh, trying to do his best. But the view of many people in government, in fact, I didn't find anyone in government who didn't hold this view to a greater or lesser extent, was that Tony Holohan had come back, had tried to bounce the government, had bounced the government uh, into uh, a premature lockdown, that this was a power play by Tony Holohan, and they reacted, um, I, I think, with uh, with a fury in private that was um, uh, that was matched by Leo Varadkar's uh, matched in, by by Leo Varadkar's comments last night. Does Tony Holohan, as a public servant, have the ability to come back and defend his reputation and position? Well, from what I've seen of him, and you know, like the rest of the country, I suppose I know him by observing him in the early part of the uh, of the lockdown. He seems to be somebody who is um, more than willing to fight his corner. Uh, I don't think he'll be. Uh, I don't think he'll be pushed around by anyone. There was some chatter um, around government. Uh, various parts of government today wondering could he possibly resign I'd, I'd be surprised about that he doesn't strike me as the um, as the resigning type he undoubtedly thinks that he is correct and that it is uh, that it is imperative in the cause of public health that his advice is followed so my guess is that he will continue to give this uh, advice uh, perhaps in less um, in a less public manner to uh, to government over over the next few weeks, I suppose if that advice continued to be ignored by government, then he you know might have questions to ask himself uh, at that stage. But look, Hugh, this is all completely in the realms of speculation uh, on, uh, on 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 my part. But um, I mean, it's no cliche, doctors differ and patients die. Uh, I don't think it's uh, applicable. Hopefully it's not applicable anyway in this in this circumstance. But there has been a lot of hand-wringing over the last day or so about this very, very public fight and disagreement between the people who are at the core of making these decisions. I, I don't mind the idea that people would have profound disagreements and would go to the mat about them. These are these are big questions that are going to affect the country and, and people's lives in all kinds of ways. And not all doctors agree on these issues, not all scientists agree on them. It's okay to have a fight about them. I think that's uh, I think that's perfectly true, uh, frankly. I don't disagree with that. Where I do see a difficulty though is when these fights are played out in such public view that it can undermine the message that is subsequently agreed by government to come out of that process. So if the, you know, if the government is, you know, seeking, uh, seeking public buy-in to the measures uh, that it is promulgating, then I think that probably is not helped when there's such obvious disagreement behind the scenes. And that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't know about these sort of things. I'm a journalist. I think that we should know as much as possible about how we are governed, because ultimately, I think that'll make us uh, better governed. But I can see the argument that says these disputes at a time such as this uh, shouldn't really be fought out in the full uh, bright glare of publicity. 
One very last thought. I'm just wondering, is there any um, discussion in political circles of the question of what happens if people don't obey these uh, regulations? There's a lot of talk about the different E's, you know, engage and educate. And the last E is enforce. The Gardaí haven't been given additional powers. Indeed, I don't think they're looking for them to enforce some of these regulations. But I mean, we've all heard and seen anecdotal evidence of people clearly breaching the current regulations uh, in Dublin and Donegal at level three. At some point, does the stick need to replace the carrot? Yeah, I think that was one of the messages kind of coming out of government last night and has been reinforced today, that there will be a higher degree of enforcement. And, uh, you know, just because the guards aren't getting any new powers doesn't mean that the level of enforcement cannot be significantly uh, intensified. You know, in the early part of the lockdown, we were seeing a lot more checkpoints. We were seeing uh, guards, you know, going in and out of... uh, were going in and out of pubs at the time and restaurants at the time that they were open. And that seems to me to have uh, to have fallen off significantly. And, you know, of course, you know, the great argument, uh, of course, is about, well, the guards don't have the right under the health regulations to go in and break up, uh, to go in and break up a, a party. At the same time, I think in the vast majority of cases, if you're having uh, a, house par- a house party that is forbidden under the guidelines and a guard knocks on the window, it would be um, someone who is either, you know, very brave, um, very foolhardy, uh, very drunk, are uh, very constitutionally aware who would refuse the guards' instructions to tell everyone to get the hell out of the, um, uh, to tell everyone to get out of the party and go home. Uh, so I, I think, to be honest, that is more a question of, of will and, uh, and, and capacity within the guards and there was, uh, it was announced last night that more money would be made for Garda overtime, which certainly often seems to be the sort of magic ingredient in uh, in these things. Um, but I think just because the Garda are not being afforded any additional powers doesn't at all mean that there cannot be stricter enforcement of the regulations. All right, so we will leave it there. Thanks to our producer, Declan Conlon, as always. And if you want to get in touch, uh, just email us at politicspodcast at irishtimes.com. We'll be back in your feed very soon. But until then, thanks very much indeed for listening. Mm-hmm.